Well, good morning. Welcome again to the Bethany Social Reform Presbyterian Church as we come together to worship the Lord our God on this blessed Sabbath morning. And as we get going this morning, just a few announcements to make. Just as a reminder, the Bethany banners and all four of the lecterns, if you haven't got one yet, be sure to pick one of them up. Also, uh, just as a reminder, uh, we'll have Sunday evening service tonight at uh, 5.30. So, of course, we invite everybody for that. And uh, the session is going to be meeting tonight at 6.30 uh, for their uh, monthly stated meeting. And also today, uh, the uh, Lady Circle will be meeting at 4. Uh, Miss Jane's going to be leading the lesson today. And Miss Keisha is uh, you know, kind of operating in that circle. So, we uh, give thanks again for y'all's work on that. Of course, invite all the ladies uh, to come at 4. Uh, for the circle today. Also this week, just as a reminder, Christian Ed's meeting at 7 o'clock on Tuesday, and uh, we'll have Wednesday night at 6.30 as usual. And uh, also uh, next uh, Sunday morning, we'll have mugs and muffins at 9.20. So of course, I invite everybody uh, for that. And also be praying for our uh, senior high kids as they're on their way back from Bon Clarkin, uh, from the senior high retreat. From what I understand, they've been having a good time. So thank the Lord uh, for that. Also, the big thing uh, to notice in your bulletin is that we will begin uh, the work on the carpet uh, in the sanctuary and upstairs on the 12th of March. Uh, so be praying uh, for that work and for the, uh, uh, all the logistics to go into that. Uh, as part of that, uh, they're going to come and pick up the piano on Monday, on the 4th and uh, take care of it so it's properly stored and, and moved. Uh, just, and due to that, of course, uh, we will be singing a cappella uh, next Sunday. So just kind of a heads up on that. Also, we will not have evening service next Sunday. And it's likely that we won't have Wednesday night uh, service the week after. But uh, more announcement about that next week. Also, as part of that, um, we're going to be having kind of a work day uh, after service on the 10th. So we invite all the young men in the congregation to stay after uh, next Sunday and help us move things. Um, I promise I'll have all of my books moved uh, by next Sunday, so you don't have to worry about all that stuff. But uh, just as a heads up on those things, again, be in prayer uh, for that work. Um, other things to take note of, uh, just as a reminder, on the 17th, we'll have our uh, annual Mission Sunday. Uh, so be ready and in preparation for that as we look forward to be spending time uh, learning about the work ongoing in Africa uh, through the seed ministry. So more information will be coming on that, but just kind of keep that in mind. On the 17th, we'll have a luncheon along with the Mission Sunday. So again, take a look at all the other uh, announcements later today. Uh, but again, let us prepare now to come before the Lord uh, as we worship Him on this blessed Sabbath morning.
Amen. Again, as the Lord calls us into his house on this blessed Sabbath morning, we uh, come together to hear our call to worship, which comes to us from the 20th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Again, as the Lord's prophet, in this time of uh, you know, declension and rebellion, uh, reminds us uh, that it is good that the Lord's people gather together uh, to praise his name and give thanks for his merciful grace. So let us turn there to Jeremiah 20 as God calls us into his presence this day. Again, beginning there at verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. Amen. As we hear this promise in Jeremiah 20 that we are to praise the name of the Lord, to give thanks for His mercy unto sinners, and especially in the way that He has saved the poor and brought them into the bounty of His heavenly kingdom. We stand together now to sing our opening hymn, hymn number 628. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Let us stand as we sing together uh, 628 in the red Trinity hymnal. Let us rejoice in the name of our God. My soul, thy suit prepare, Jesus loves to answer prayer, he himself Just praise the Lord for the forgiveness of sins, uh, for the glory of the fact that our God hears the prayers of His covenant people. 
and that we gather together this morning in faith because our God is the marvelous and majestic King of the universe. And unto Him we come now in prayer. Let us pray. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, You in Your magnificent glory have given unto us this day. Dear God, You have brought us through the week that has passed. God, You know the struggles that we have faced. You know the difficulties of life in this fallen world. And dear God, we rejoice this morning because You have been faithful to Your promise. You have heard our pleas. You have heard our cries. And You have given us this day that we might come together with those who love us, those who care for us, and those who seek our best that we might minister to one another by faith, that we might sing together with one voice to the heavenly places, and that, dear God, through Your uh, wonderful Word, that we might hear the words of comfort from Your Scriptures, which You blessedly have given to Your people from generation to generation. For Your Word is the same yesterday as it is today, and it will be for our descendants. To God, we pray as we hear Your Word and as we read Your Word, to God, that You will work faith in our hearts, that You will strengthen our understanding of You. And to God, that Your Word might be the very Word of our lips from day by day. To God, we do pray this morning as we worship You in spirit and in truth. And to God, that You will cause us to leave this place with an attitude of thanksgiving, with a joy unspeakable that we may serve you well in all that we do. And to God, we come together now to say the words your son taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we do pray and give thanks to God for His magnificent work, we come now to hear more of the way that our God has blessed us through the words of Scripture found today in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, the Beloved Disciple. And so let us hear these words of Jesus as they comfort us, as they challenge us, and as they convict us in their way. Again, John 15 is our text beginning at verse 18. Hear the word of God. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now 
They have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened. The word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Amen. Thanks be to God for the reading of his holy and his perfect word. Let us now be seated. Well, I invite the children to come down for the lesson today. Good morning, everybody. Y'all have a good week last week? Yeah, kind of I, You know, it was kind of a weird week. You know, one day it was like 75 degrees outside, and the next day it was like 25 degrees outside, or maybe not that cold, but it felt like it. And then yesterday, uh, Friday, it felt like we all lived in Scotland for the day, right? It was 48 degrees, and I think the low was 46, and it just rained all day, right? And then yesterday, it was supposed to be warm, and it was really nice there for a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's just been a strange little time. Uh, but, right, you know, one of the cool things that we're going to hear about today in the scripture lesson is we are done with the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> now, I don't mean to make it sound so joyful, but, you know, sometimes it's good to end with something and start something else. But, you know, the, the, the good news of the Lord that we are going to hear today is that the Christian life is very simple. Right? You know, God has told us to live according to his commandments and to love him. Right? Those are the two simple things that God has called us to do. So I want you to repeat after me. We are to fear God. Let's try that again. Uh, we are to fear God. We're to fear God. And we are to love his commandments. That's right. We are to do what? We're to fear God and we are to do what? Love his commandments, right? That is the, the simple testimony of the Christian faith, right? If, if somebody come to you and ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? That would be a great way to say it. Now, when we talk about fearing God, right, does that mean we're to be scared of God? Well, in a sense, right? Because what, what does God have the power to do? Everything, right? And that includes blessings and cursings, right? So in a sense, right, we should be afraid of the judgment of God, right? We should be afraid of what God can do to sinners. But remember... What has Jesus Christ come to do for us? That's right. He has come to die on the cross for our sins. So, it's true, right? We are to be afraid of God because of what he does to sin. Right? But we 
fear God because we know what he has done about sin. He has sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to lay lay down his life for our sins. Now, as part of that, right, we are to respond to what God has done, right? If somebody gives you a gift, right, what, what's, the, what's the thing your mom and dad have taught you to do? Right? Say thank you, right? Now, when I was a kid, my, my mom, before she would let us play with our Christmas presents, we had to write a thank you note to every person who gave us a gift on Christmas morning. Now, think about that. Right. Before we could play with our toys, we had to write a thank you note. Now, I'm not as, I'm not as mean, I guess, as my mom. <laughs> I haven't done, my, my kids haven't had to do that. But right, what, one of the things that teaches you right, is that if you are given something, right, the first thing that you should do is not take it and run away. Right, but you should give thanks. Right? Because did they have to give you anything? Were they required to buy you something for Christmas? No, right? They gave you something because they love you, right? Because they care about you, because they you know, desire for you to be happy, right? And that's what God's done for us in Jesus Christ, right? He has given us his son so that we might be happy, right? That we might have joy in our hearts, right? And so the right thing for us to do is to say thank you, right? And one of the ways we say thank you to God for the work that he's done in Jesus is by obeying his commandments, right? Now, when we say commandment, what what do you think of? What's that list of 10 that we talk about every now and then? They're the 10 what? 10 commandments, right? Now, should we do what the 10 commandments say? Absolutely, right? But again, it's important for us to remember that we do those commandments, right? We have no other gods before us. We you know, worship God on the Sabbath day. We don't use his word bad. We don't you know, break images, right? We don't kill people. We don't steal. We don't lie, right? We don't covet and want what other people have because of what Jesus has done for us, right? Our obedience to the commandments is out of our love for God. Not because we're afraid of him, but because we love him. And that's the the two things we're going to learn today in in the scripture lesson. That we are to be afraid of God, but we are to see what God's done for us in Jesus. And we are to love his commandments. We're to to obey them and we're to love him in in that obedience. Y'all ready to to do that? You think? All right, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for the blessings of your grace and for the goodness of the work your Son has done for us, dear God, that we might see the great gift uh, that has been given to us in Jesus and that we might say thank you uh, in the way that we love your commandments and that we model our lives around your word. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the ways, of course, we say thank you to the Lord is by obeying his commandment to sing. We see throughout the scriptures that men and women who love Jesus sing his name because they're praising the good work that he has done. So I invite you to stand as we come and uh, sing together our next hymn, hymn number 679. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Let us stand as we sing from the red 
Trinity Hymnal this morning. Amen and amen. Again, it is sweet to trust in the name of the Lord our God. So let us now be seated as we testify to the way that we trust in Him uh, by bringing the needs of our hearts and our lives unto Him in prayer. So let us now prepare ourselves to come into the presence of our God uh, in this moment of prayer. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, grace upon grace you have showed unto us. Grace upon grace you have given unto us in your Son, Jesus Christ. 
And as we gather together this morning in order to praise your holy name, we do give thanks. We give thanks for your mercy unto us. We give thanks for your holiness and your righteousness. We give thanks for your power and your might. And we give thanks, dear God, that you have continued to watch over us even in the midst of our own sinfulness. Dear God, we come before you this morning confessing our sin. Confessing our lack of trust in you, our lack of praise of you. Dear God, we confess that it is easy uh, for us to blame you. It is easy for us to, to curse you even. Even as the children of Israel did in the wilderness. And dear God, we recognize that this uh, you know, sinful attitude in mind comes from a lack of remembrance. Remembering the work that you have done for us. That you've granted unto us not only spiritual life, but life itself. That dear God, there is nothing that requires our existence. We confess that the world would be fine even if we were not here. Yet, dear God, you have chosen us from before the foundation of the world to be a part of your covenant kingdom. To be a part of this great creation that you have made. To God, as we remember that our personal identity is not uh, to be shaped by the world around us. God, we pray this morning as we uh, seek forgiveness of sin. That you will remind us again of the bounty of grace available in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. For to God, you have made us in your image. And your Son has repaired that image at the cross. And to God, we pray in the daily walk that we give that we might be made more and more like our Savior. God, as we remember uh, the words of the third chapter of the book of Colossians, that we are uh, in your identity. For our name is lifted up even unto the heavens themselves. God, we rejoice in the blessings of these things. But to God, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would awaken our hearts and our souls and our minds to, to recognize these truths. But to God, again, we confess that it is easy for us to allow the world to tell us who we are. It's easy uh, for the world to tell us how we should think and how we should feel and how we should represent ourselves. God, these are vanities and these are lies. Dear God, may you help us to see who we are in you. Dear God, we do pray that we would recognize these truths, that we would remember the blessings of gospel grace. And that we might be obedient unto your word, that we might love your law, as we hear David say in the Psalter. God, we do pray for the work of the Holy Spirit which enables these things. Which lifts us up out of the doldrums, out of the depths, out of the difficulties. Reminds us of the promises that you have made that we are yours and we will forever be your covenant people. 
God, may this be the testimony of our hearts this morning. We especially pray to God that you would continue to strengthen us in Christ. To God, we are reminded that the foundations that we are building today will be tested by fire. God, we give thanks for the witness that we see in faithful members, not only of the church triumphant, but of the church militant. Those who have testified to us of of how their strength in Christ has allowed them to stay strong in the midst of trial. Rejoice in these examples to God, for they show us not individual faith, but they show us the work of Christ. God, we pray that we might have that power in ourselves. And to God, as we continue to ask your blessings and your mercies to be with those among our number, God, we especially continue uh, to ask that you would be with the Smith family. God, be with them as they walk through the valley of, uh, of the shadow. That they might be reminded that thou art with them. And we continue to pray for the doctors and nurses as they make decisions on care and plans uh, for other matters. We pray that you give them wisdom, give them encouragement, and give them compassion. And to God, we do think of those among our number who are homebound this morning, and we pray to God that you in your mercy might witness unto them as well. We've got to help them to know that they are not alone. They have a great cloud of witnesses lifting them up even at this moment. Under God, as you glorify yourself and in the work of the church, to God, we do pray for the Beth and the ARP church. We do pray especially for uh, the work that is upcoming. We pray to God that not only will it be done well, but to God that you might work in and through it for your glory. We lift up also the, uh, the, the, the many other things that are on our hearts and on our minds. God, you know the things that we're struggling with, even at this moment. You know those things that, that, that we don't know how to handle. That we don't know how to approach. That we don't know how uh, to uh, answer. But dear God, you do. And dear God, we throw ourselves at your feet. You might show us mercy. You might open our eyes, that you might open our hearts to receive your testimony. We might know the right way forward, not by the wisdom of the flesh, but by the wisdom of the Spirit. And to God, as we continue to worship you this morning, and as we continue to seek your face in, in our daily lives, as we go to work tomorrow, as we go to school tomorrow, as we wake up in the morning, God, may everything we do be done in your sight and for your glory. We might be a witness to our neighbor, especially to our unbelieving co-workers and others, that they might see Christ in us. God, we do these things not in order to be shown our own glory, but that others might again see Christ, who is the everlasting King of kings, the Prince of peace, the wonderful counselor and the one unto whom we rest even on this day. We pray these things in his name. Amen.
Well, as we do now turn to the Word of the Living God, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We go uh, to verse 9 as we close our time in this book. Let us stand together as we read uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning there at verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words and what was written was upright. Words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, he admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His Commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Amen. Thanks be to God for the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you do come before us this morning and present uh, your truth under our hearts. We do pray for the work of the Holy Spirit that you will not only lift us up in your presence, but strengthen us by your word, that we might live in light of your goodness. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Solomon has had a lot to say over the past uh, six months. You know, we began our time in Ecclesiastes the first Sunday of the um, uh, month of September. And we've gone through 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes and you know, some of them, I'm sure, have been more helpful than others. You know, sometimes when people are telling you a long story, uh, some parts of it are more interesting uh, than, uh, than, than, than other parts of it, right? You're listening to somebody tell a story and you're kind of hoping they get to the good parts, right? They've got to fill in all the information so that you understand what the good parts are. And Solomon has a lot to say because he's lived a long and full life. He's experienced quite a bit. Almost all of it, of course, is his own fault. He kind of, in some sense, almost pokes fun at himself here at the end by saying, much study is wearisome to the flesh. I can guarantee you that Solomon was probably tired by the time he got done writing this book. Because it's no fun, really, to do what Solomon has done for 12 chapters. It's no fun to tell the whole world all of your sins. To tell the whole world all of your failures. Not only how you have let down yourself, but how you have let down the nation that God has made you king over. 
Because ultimately, as he kind of lets us in here at the end, what has Solomon failed to do? Solomon has failed to fear God and keep his commandments. That's the long, tall, and short of it. You know, in some sense, the book of Ecclesiastes is the Old Testament version of the book of James in the New Testament. Now, James hadn't done anything wrong, but he's writing to people who had done plenty wrong. The problem in uh, the book of James is that people are only hearers of the word. He says in verse 22 of chapter 1, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. Consider again what James is telling us this morning. We can talk and we can talk and we can run our mouths all we want, but if we are not doers of the word, then, as Solomon would tell you, it is all vanity. It is worthless. It's like that image in the mirror. As soon as you walk away from the mirror, you're no longer present. It's just a wall behind you. But again, how are we again to witness to these things? Notice how Solomon begins the passage we have before us today in verse 9. He says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Now, again, when Solomon here is talking about knowledge, he's not talking about merely knowing things. Nobody in the history of earth was smarter than the Pharisee Paul of Tarsus. In the book of Galatians, he, uh, he nails for us that he went to the best schools, had the best teacher, yet he knew nothing and according to what he testified because he knew not the Lord. He knew only himself. He knew only uh, the, the knowledge he had in his own heart, which was foolishness. The knowledge, of course, that Solomon wants us to have this morning is not merely knowledge of the truth. Merely knowledge of what the Christian faith teaches. It's all well and good. But if the word itself is not powerful in our hearts, then it is worthless. This testimony that he has here again is that uh, he, he uses this title again of preacher. You know, and one of the jobs of a preacher is in some sense to meddle. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I was younger and I heard preachers talk and, and old ladies would uh, complain after the, the sermon, they would say that the preacher was meddling uh, that day. Well, that's part of the job, of course, that Solomon has as a preacher. He is called to meddle with the people of Israel. He's called to meddle in our lives as well. Because he wants to, us to examine our own hearts, our own mind, our own soul, and ask these questions of ourselves. Are we merely hearers of the word? Is there any follow through with our promises, with the vows that we have made to the living and the true God? 
Now Solomon has answered that about himself. For the vast majority of his life, he was merely a hearer of the word. He knew the word backwards and forwards. He signed his John Hancock heir at the beginning of his uh, kingship that he had read the whole law. And he's testified to us over and over again that it was worth nothing because it had no effect on himself. One of the uh, illustrations we have of this in the New Testament is Peter's admonition uh, against women. Now, it's not specifically mentioned about women, but uh, when he starts talking about arranging hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel, I don't think he has the men at Bethany in mind. I don't know how many of y'all adorned your hair this morning, uh, but... Again, when we hear Peter in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4, he says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Again, notice what Peter's saying there about the nature again of this dichotomy, of this difference uh, between having merely an outward arrangement of holiness versus having that arrangement within your heart. And he goes back to the same image of the mirror that we heard uh, from James. Again, you can adorn yourself in all kinds of holiness, but the second you're out of the sight of everyone else, what is the truth? You are still the naked sinner that you were before. You've merely put on an outward face, an outward uh, clothing, and as soon as that's removed, you are still the same person that you were. You may have been deceiving others, but of course the reality is, who are you actually deceiving? You're deceiving yourself. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright. Words of truth. Again, the, the, the thing that changed in Solomon's life was not that he you learned more. It's that for the first time in his life, he put into action the words that he already knew. Jesus is very clear in the Gospels that he has come not to teach anything that was new. Jesus came to testify to what his Father had already revealed to people. He had, he, you know, the, the words of Solomon, the words of Isaiah, the words of the psalmist, the words of Moses, all those were there for the people. But what was the difference between Nicodemus in John chapter 3 who knows all these things but don't know nothing and Nicodemus at the end of the gospel who has humbled himself and come to faith in the risen Christ. He didn't learn anything new in that time period. There was no magic use of word and language that got him to think differently. What happened was is that the Holy Spirit worked on his heart, opened his eyes to see his weakness. That's why Paul will say in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, until the heart is circumcised, until the heart is rendered, 
changed out from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And again, all of this knowledge is worthless. You can hear what Solomon has to say at the beginning. He says, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Now this is one of these examples in the scriptures where we're meant to see and read the obvious. Now our Bible uh, translators have helped us out a little bit because what do they do with the word shepherd in your Bible? I want everybody to look down real quick. What, What do they do with the word shepherd in your Bible? They capitalize it. Now why in the world do they capitalize it? You know one of the things of course about Hebrew is it doesn't have upper and lower case. There's only one case. So it's not like they're translating from the Hebrew to the English and they're like, oh, oh, your shepherd's capitalized. I better follow suit. This is a decision made by the translators of our English Bibles. Whether they should do that is probably a separate question. But what have they done? They've capitalized. Because who is the one shepherd? This is one of the examples again where we're to read Jesus into the Old Testament. Now, we're supposed to read Jesus into the Old Testament because every word in the Old Testament is about who? About Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is to show us Jesus, to testify to us about Jesus, and to help us to understand what we are to expect about Jesus when he comes in the flesh. And so, what are the words of the wise? They're like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails, given by one shepherd. So this one shepherd, who we know to be Jesus Christ, who's described for us in the 34th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, right, the great shepherd of the sheep, testified to us in John chapter 10, and Jesus confirms for us that yes, the the, the translators of the Bible did the right thing by capitalizing shepherd there. And as they did that, right, we are to remember that the words that we have in the Bible are the very words of the living and true God and the words of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So is there any portion of God's Word that is less important than any other? The answer is no. Every word on every page of the Scripture from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of the book of Revelation is just as important as any other. And one of the reasons for that we're given here is because each one in their own way is a well-driven nail. Again, what does that mean for something to be a well-driven nail? Well, you know, we don't use nails as much as we used to, right? Uh, Most everybody uses screws for just about everything. And and why do we use screws for everything? Partly because, you you know, the drills you get from Lowe's or wherever, right? The it's a heck of a lot easier, right, to, to screw something in with uh, that magic device uh, than it is to hit a well-driven nail. Because what usually happens when we're trying to drive nails? I don't know about you, but i got plenty of scars on my hands that testify to the, the difficulty of a well-driven nail. We miss. And we hit ourselves. And also, it's one of them things that, you know, at least when I was young, you know, it seemed like the older generation were a lot better at, right? You, you could watch them build something, and how many times did they have to strike that nail before it went in? 
once or twice, right? And, and how did that come to pass? You think they just woke up one morning and just happened to be better at it than we are? No. It's like everything else in life. They got good at it because they did it all the time. Because they were well practiced because they didn't have Lowe's. They didn't have electric uh, you know, you know, screwdrivers that they could buy. And so they had to make do with what they had. But in some sense, a well-driven nail is a lot better than a screw. Because what's one of the things you can do with a screw? You can take it out. Right? There's a, a permanence to a well-driven nail that doesn't exist with a screw. And that's part of getting a witness, not that they had screws back in the days of Solomon, but right, that's one of the things we can take from that image in our modern day. Right? We think about the permanence not only of a well-driven nail, but we also notice again who's doing the driving. Read again verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads and the words of the scholars are like well-driven nails given by who? The one shepherd. Now you think about, again, the, the, the whole picture of what Solomon's been doing throughout this whole uh, you, you, you book. And in a sense, every proverb has been a well-driven nail. At least it should be. One of the reasons why God in His providence had Solomon write the book of Proverbs and write the book of Ecclesiastes is that we are meant to take every verse in these books and meditate upon them. And ask that question of ourselves. Again, uh, you know, where do we fit in, as it were, in, in what Solomon wrote? Uh, for instance, in chapter 1, uh, when he says, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Again, the permanence of the promises of God versus the temporary nature of human hands and of human construction and of human buildings and of human wisdom and of human uh, you know, victories and awards. Right? All of those things are passing away. All of those things lose the value. All of those things are no longer important. As you go back and you read testimonies of life uh, before we were born, and one of the things you see is that, you know, how many people care about the Super Bowl prior to about 1966? Do you think it was Sam Huff's big dream when he was a little boy growing up in, in Mannington, West Virginia, to win the Super Bowl for the New York Giants? He didn't care because the Super Bowl didn't exist. He barely even knew what football was, but mildly. But now, right, what does every young boy who likes football do? They dream of going on and winning the Super Bowl. Well, brothers and sisters, I hate to break it to you, but there's going to be a time in the future when nobody cares about the Super Bowl. Nobody cares who won the Super Bowl in, in 2024. It's not going to matter. Either our society is going to collapse in on itself and nobody's going to be caring about that because everybody's trying to eat, or something else is going to come along. Something else more important. Something else that shines better. Something else that, that, that people value more than that. And what Solomon has been driving this well-hit nail into our hearts about is we need to ask that question of ourselves. Right? We need to ask the question of ourselves, what matters to us? Right? What, what matters to our day-to-day? -day? What matters to the future that we claim to desire for ourselves? Right? Do we spend all of our time and energy on those things that are passing away? Those things that will not matter in the future? 
Right? Those things that, that may seem important right now, uh, but as he makes clear in the second chapter, right, those things that, that, that seem important, those things that, that seem to be wise, those things that, that, that seem to be good for us, uh, what are they? He says in verse 12, Then I turn myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what has he already done. Right, the, the, the testimony of Solomon's heart and life is, is, yeah, I have all of these uh, chariots. I got all of these horses. I got all of these concubines. I got all of these wives. I got all this gold. I got all this land. But what does it matter? Because at the end of the day, what's Rehoboam going to do with all this stuff? He's going to lose it. He's going to divide the kingdom. He's going to destroy the nation of Israel. So what does it matter that Solomon was able to influence people in his life? Because what did he influence them towards? He influenced them towards idolatry. He influenced them towards the things that are passing away. So yes, in the moment it might seem wonderful that, that he was able to help this individual or help this person or help this student or help whomever. But at the end of the day, Solomon reminds us that these things are vanity. Because what is it that we should be seeking to pass along and what is it should, we should be seeking to mentor? What it is it that we should be seeking uh, to ensure that those nearest to us carry on to the next generation? Because brothers and sisters, every one of you will die. You may not think it. Right? We may not live like we're going to die one day. Right? We, we, we can deceive ourselves into thinking only other people die. But Solomon here is, is calling for us to remember that there is a season for everything under heaven. And so what is it that we're passing along to those nearest to us? Solomon tells you that these things which are passing away are, are going to be you know, nothing in the days to come. But if we raise our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, what is the promise that the Scripture testifies to us? It is that they will walk in the ways of the Lord. And this goes back a little bit to what I was talking about at the beginning about being hearers and doers of the Word. Again, the, the, the nature of what we do, uh, not so much with our mouths, right? How many of you enjoy bosses who talk all the time? who tell you all the wonderful things are going to happen and then don't follow through with any of it. What does that do to your heart? What does that do to your enjoyment of going to work the next day? Right, you're going to hear all kinds of platitudes, all kinds of things, and, 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 and at a certain point, what do you start doing? Start tuning it out. You start ignoring it because why? Because you can't trust that person. Right, if that's true of uh, the, the world in which we live out in the, in, in, in the quote-unquote secular world, how much more true is that of, of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Right, if you've got a preacher who talks all the time but lives like a pagan, what, what is the likelihood you're going to listen to anything he has to say? Hopefully, the answer to that is no, I wouldn't listen to him. And in fact, what should you do? Right? You should find yourself a different preacher. And the same is true of, of elders and deacons for that matter. 
Again, elders can, can, can lead, they can, they can talk, and they can witness, but what really matters with, with leadership in the church? Again, it's what is done. It's what is followed through with. It's what the example that is witnessed to. And think of your own life and the own example you have in your own head of men who served, whether at Bethany or wherever you grew up. What was it that made those elders be elders? It wasn't, again, the things they said. It was the life that they led. They, they, they not only were trustworthy, but they witnessed to it, not just in their life in the church, but in the life that they lived out in the world. Again, that should be the same way it is today. Same true, of course, of deacons. Right? The, the witness we have in Acts chapter 6 is that who are the men called to be deacons in Acts 6? It are those who are spiritually mature. Right, those who have witnessed not just to the, the hearing of the word, but the doing of the word. Right, that's part again of what the witness that, that Solomon is driving to Israel in this whole book. Is that the reason why Israel is in the shape that it's in has nothing to do with the quote unquote lay people in Israel. It has everything to do with the leaders in Israel. The, the reason why the priests don't do what they're supposed to is because the king ain't doing what he's supposed to. Leadership it, you know, you know, trickles down. Right? The, 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 the members of the tribe of Asher are only going to go as far as the men who have been chosen to lead the tribe of Asher. Solomon, again, in his confession of sin, is testifying to this of himself. That's why, again, the situation is what it is. So as, the, as Solomon continues, again, to kind of close out uh, this book, again, he, he testifies, again, the words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Again, it all comes back to Jesus. What have we learned from Jesus? Was Jesus a hearer or a doer? Well, he was both, obviously, right? Because he heard the word of his father, and every time he gets bothered by people, what does he say? Even when he was 12 years old, hanging out in Jerusalem, talking to the scholars in the, in the temple, and his mama comes up to him and says, where have you been? What does Jesus say in response to Miss Mary? I'm about my father's business. Now, he's not being snarky, not being rude, like Jesus ain't breaking the fifth commandment there. But really, what is he doing? He is a shepherd driving a well-driven nail because what should his mama have known? That he was about his father's business. And that's what Jesus is always about. That's why we can trust in Jesus. That's why we can hear the words of Christ and rest in them. Because we know He's not like fallen man. He's not like the weakness of the flesh. He is God incarnate. When Jesus, for instance, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, is writing to the church of Pergamos, He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life 
which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And he, he's challenging the church there because the problem at the church of Pergamos is nobody's in charge. You know, a, a similar problem is happening at a neighboring church where they're letting Jezebel come in and hang out and teach. At another church at Ephesus, we hear that the great problem is, is they've forgotten their first love. And in some kind of interesting way, Jesus reserves his harshest words for the church that don't care. The church of Laodicea is the church of apathy. The church of going through the motions. The church that refuses to pick a side. Refuses to be hot or cold. They are lukewarm as the scriptures testify to us. Now, what does it mean, again, to be lukewarm? What does it mean to be apathetic? What does it mean to not care? Well, in some sense, it means to neither be a hearer or a doer of the word. Right? At least hypocrites are paying attention. The people that I see you, it goes in one ear and goes right out the other. Right? There, there, there's no... There, there's no effect to the word. There, there, there's no nothing. Right? The people come into church on the Lord's Day morning at Laodicea and they leave the church that same Sunday and they might as well have been deaf the whole time they were there. There is no life in that church. That's what apathy really means, right? You know, in a sense, right? I would much rather deal with somebody who hates me than somebody who doesn't care about me. Because at least the person who hates me hates me enough to talk to me. At least the person who, who hates you, uh, you know, cares about you enough to think about you. But again, the apathetic person might as well act like you don't exist. And that's why Jesus says of the church of Laodicea that he is going to literally spit them out of his mouth. The heck of an image, right? The, you know, not that we're supposed to think about Jesus, right? We're not supposed to make images of Jesus in our head. But, you know, the idea here is that Jesus is taking an action against the church that don't care. That's why Solomon, again, closes his, uh, you know, verses here with the words of verse 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And the whole matter here is not just the book, but the whole matter, the whole kit and caboodle, the whole shooting match, however you want to say that, of the whole Bible. I told the kids, you know, this is the answer. What are we to do in response to the Word? We're going to fear God and keep His commandments. For this is man's all. But God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Solomon here is telling you, you better care. You better be involved. You better be not just a hearer, but a doer of the word. If you're not, you are going to hell. That is the word that Solomon has for us this morning. That's the word that Jesus drives home over and over again. You either obey the commandments of the Lord, or you're going to hell. Now again, that doesn't mean that we go to heaven because we keep the commandments. Again, when God gives the law to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, how does it begin? 
It begins with a remembrance of the work of salvation, of redemption that took place in Egypt. Remember that I brought you out of the land of bondage, out of the land of slavery, given unto you these things. Therefore, have no other gods before me. That's, that's all uh, you know, Solomon is saying here. Right? If we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on our behalf, if we believe that Christ has laid down His life for our sins, if He has washed us in His blood, then what can we do but fear God and love His commandments? And if the Word of God has no effect on your heart, then you are dead in sin. And you will be spit out on the day of judgment. You know, there's a, a witness to this, of course, in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ that, 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 that provides for us, again, a perfect picture of uh, the danger. And sometimes we can become inoculated to the gospel. We can hear it so much, we can, we, we can, we can you know, you know, hear it repeated, right? and we know the, the, the work of the gospel, right? We know that it happens. We know that Jesus saves sinners. But the problem is, is we don't consider ourselves to be sinners. That's one of the problems that the Pharisees had, right? When Jesus is condemning them, he says, hey, I didn't come to save you anyway. You're righteous. Who has Jesus come to save? He has come to save not those who are righteous, but those who are sinners. The great physician has come to heal those who are sick, not those who are well, not those who have no need of a, of a Savior. So what are we to do according to the Apostle Peter? We are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. That's the message that Solomon has for us and that's the message we're going to close on this morning. That simple testimony. Do you fear God? You should. Do you fear God enough to change your life? Do you fear God enough to humble yourselves before Him? Do you fear God enough to trust that He will send you to hell if you do not rest and trust in Him? Again, you better. Because that's what the Word says. That's what the well-driven nail is for this morning. It is to drive into your heart and your soul and your mind that today is the day of choosing. Who will you serve? Right, we love what, what uh, Joshua says there, right? But for today, what are we going to do? Today, my house will serve the living God. And remember, all the people at Shechem said the same thing. But what were they doing two chapters later in the book of Judges? They had given up and gone after the gods of the age. Why? Because they were Laodiceans. They didn't really believe all that judgment stuff. They didn't really believe all the promise stuff either. And that's what we must do this morning. We must fear God. We must keep His commandments. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for this time and this place as we come to worship You and as we come to seek Your face. May we be resting and trusting in You alone for our salvation. For to God, we respond to this great work that you have done uh, by fearing you, by loving you,
by not being merely hearers of the word, but doing those things that you've called us to do, that we have vowed to do as your covenant children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we uh, close our worship this morning, we come uh, to the uh, Bible song number 225. Let us stand and sing together God's covenant of faithfulness, number 225. Again, as we close our worship this morning and as we rejoice at the good news of Jesus Christ, that He has come to save sinners and that He has called us to be a part of His covenant family. Again, if you have need to speak unto me and the elders, we are here to help in every way that we can. Let us come now to hear the words of the benediction today which come to us from the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation, verses 3 and 4. Hear the word of the Lord. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. 
And the song of the Lamb sang, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. Amen.